Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. I want to welcome everyone this morning. How are you doing today? Blessed? All right, not stressed? Maybe a little baked? (laughs) Wow, yeah, it was a hot one. And it seems to be, uh, well, it seems to be gearing up some more, I think, this week. So if you haven't gotten used to it by now, well, I don't know what's going to happen, you know. You should be used to it by now. May I open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6? This is an interesting uh, portion of Scripture, and I say interesting because of where it's at. In verse 14, 2 Corinthians 6.14, seems to be a little bit out of place, is so what I've been reading, and, and it kind of, if you think about this, it, it, it seems to be out of place in the context of this letter. And uh, they don't know exactly what happened, uh, how it is that this portion of Scripture got in there. You know, and all, all I can say is, you know, God put it there for a reason. You know, and... Uh, well, you know, that's true, it, it, it's, you know, you're right about that, but, and you got these theologians and scholars and stu- students that it just doesn't fit. A lot of the scripture that is written in here, uh, which he goes back and he uses scripture in the Old Testament, it just, you know, it, it fits, but it's kind of jumbled together, and it's not really quoted verbatim. And he uses words that he doesn't use anywhere else in this portion of scripture. And, and it looks like if you went to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, uh, oh, actually, yeah, it, in, in verse 13, in return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts. Then you go to chapter 7, verse 2, it says, make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. And so there's that portion that just kind of fits together, and this, this piece is inserted in there for, and, and you have so many different views and ideas, and I'm just going to say this, and, uh, you know, I, and I, I've, uh, this is my theological uh, response to a lot of the things that just don't make sense, don't seem to add up. I mean, and this is probably something that you can learn. I mean, this is probably, it's coming from the top, and it is, you know, from a lot of my, my professors and teachers. They just basically say, I don't know. I mean, everybody has a view, and we can't really understand what happened there. Maybe the, the letters, you know, once somebody said that as he was carrying these pages, it fell and it got mixed up and they inserted it in there. But the problem is, is that they didn't have pages back there. They had scrolls, and everything was written on a scroll, and, and so... It's in there because God wants it to be there right now. And so we need to take a look at this very... Uh, and, and remember, prior to the 1300s, uh, for the 13th century, they didn't have chapters and verses. That came later. And then when the printing press came out in the 1600s, they got books and, and they were able to clean it up a little bit more. So in the actual writing, all these... And in the Greek as well, all the letters are kind of bunched together. You have to know what the words are. And, and so... So there's a lot of other things that are going on here. Us, we have this in this way, and it just flows very natural for us if we were just to read it and not pay any attention to it. But I wanted to bring that to your attention, first of all, because it's very important that we look at, okay, so why is this here? Paul has already been talking to us about the things that were going on in Corinth on how people were trying to malign his character, trying to assassinate his his reputation. They were trying to uh, say that he wasn't a real, true apostle. And, and Paul has been responding back to them and, and sharing with them, look, you got to get away from those people. Those guys, those Judaizers is what they were called. We call them that. 
people that, that claim that you have to have not only grace, but you also be, have to be part of the Jewish law and you have to follow the law. And what Paul is, is trying to get across to these people, look, you are our recommendation. You are the letter. You don't need a letter of recommendation from anyone else. You yourself, the things that you've learned from me and, and your life that has been transformed and changed, why do you keep going back to the old way of life? Why do you keep holding back to the, the culture that is there? And I've tried to make a point as far as what the culture was like, and maybe you know it's been a while since I've actually talked about it, but Corinth was a, a very vile and wicked city. As a matter of fact, a lot of the, uh, the, the, the sinfulness that happened back then uh, there, were, there were two temples. Aphrodite's was one, and I can't remember the other one, but there was these two temples, and Aphrodite's had a temple full of 1,000 prostitutes, and they were priests that would come down into the city at night, and they would lure men into worshiping with them in the, in the pretense of, of course, of, of getting things done through their God. And, and if, you, if you were to have this relation with me, then, then everything would work out for you. Your, your fields would be blessed, and your children will be blessed. And, and so this was the part of Corinthians that a lot of people were drawn to. They were drawn to the debauchery. They were drawn to the drunkenness and everything else that was there. And so this church that was planted in the city, and, and it was strategically planted there by Paul, people would come from the north and from the south. There was this little peninsula, kind of like what you have in the Panama Canal type of thing. And, and, and there was this little peninsula, and that's where Corinth was at. And people would come from the north and the south, and they would come from the waterways east and west, and they would all converge there, and they would trade, and, and they would pass through, and all kinds of stuff was happening there. The lifestyle was so vile that it became known as Corinthianized. Oh, you've been Corinthianized. I can tell by, or you've been to Corinth, and you've been Corinthianized. And that was kind of like saying, you know, you've been to Frisco, or you've been to Vegas, or something of that na nature, you know? And, and so what Paul is trying to get across, look, there's all these thoughts and ideas and gods and religions and everything going on in this, and you have to pull yourself out of there. I've been trying to make this plea, open up your hearts as children. I'm telling you as a father, as a spiritual father, pay attention to God's word. you got to hold on to God's word. And, and so out of that, up to today, if I were to ask you, how many religions do you think are in the world? Now, this is the trick question, by the way. You know, and some of you, like what I did is I went to Google. I said, well, how many religions are there professed to be in the world? And I asked Google, Google, how many religions? Google says there are some 4,300 religions of the world. This is according to adherents, an independent, non-religious affiliated organization that monitors the number and size of the world's religions. Now, out of that, there are 12 major religions. Some of you probably know this. Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, Taoism, Judaism, Confucianism, Bahi, Shinto, Jainism, and Zoroasterism. Now, those are the 12 top religions. Now, I want you to know this because I'm going to give you the very basic, simple answer. There are only two. There's the wide road, and then there's the narrow road. There's the wide gate, and then there's the narrow gate. There's the good fruit, and then there's the bad fruit. What Jesus Christ talked about, there's only two. And there's always only been two. Everything else is a variation of the evil one. And so when we start to understand that everything else that is out there that does not line up with what the Bible says, we can look at everything else through the lenses of seeing the truth as opposed to a counterfeit. Now, I've said this before. Many of you probably already know this. This is how they train a lot of the bank tellers on counterfeits. They don't show them all the counterfeits that are out there. They show them the true dollar bill or the $100 bill, whichever one that they wanted to know. They look at it. They smell it. They feel it. They weigh it. They touch it. 
They listen to it, how it, and they understand, and they know that any time that a counterfeit comes up, you automatically know this isn't real. Beloved, my responsibility to you is to help you to see what the Bible says and who Jesus Christ is and the truth of the gospel of the message of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to do the best I can to do this to help you because Paul is, is making an appeal right now. Is I'm going to make an appeal to you. You've got to separate yourself. We've got to be different. We've got to be different from what the world is. Right now, the world is trying to crunch us into its mold. Right now, the world is trying to tell us how to operate as a church, as an individual. They've come up with all this vocabulary that we can't use anymore. Anytime I speak against what the Bible, well, anytime I speak for what the Bible says against what the world is, I'm proclaiming hate speech according to their definition. And what's happened in a lot of churches and a lot of places where people say, okay, well, you know, I'm just going to back off a little bit. We don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to hurt their feelings. We want them to come to church, and so it's okay. And pragmatism is doing whatever it takes to, to get people here. Beloved, Jesus went out, and he hung out with the prostitutes and the sinners, but he didn't leave them that way. He offended people, and he told them, sin no more. Can you imagine Jesus Christ coming out today and talking to some of, some of the groups that we have? Hey, just sit no more. Who do you think you are, God? <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact, I am. And, and so what, what the Bible is teaching us and we have to look at is that we need to be separate. We need to be different. And in these portions of scriptures, I'm going to read this, uh, verses 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. Lead us in a word of prayer and come back and try to unpack this. And I've given you some space on your, the back of your outline. Um, yeah, okay, it wasn't intentional, <laughs> but we're going to use it. <laughs> it, was, it was a mistake. I'm going to try to kind of shift you into a different mode of taking notes, okay? I want you to stay awake. I want you to start making your own notes on the back of your outline, okay? So uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, Ken's laughing back there. You, <laughs> I made a mistake. You know, let, let's do this. Let's all stand in reverence for God's word. Chapter 6, verse 14, it's titled in my Bible, The Temple of the Living God. Some of you might have a different title up above that. But it says here, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said... I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Father God, as you said, we need to be separate. And this is not the only place you've stated this. Paul has made this argument throughout Scripture. James has made the same argument. We hear this at, from you from the very beginning that we need to be different. You set us apart. We are holy. And so, Father, here we are at this point in time, in this season of our life, as we see everything else, all the institutions that are falling apart. The family has fallen apart. The government has fallen apart. The police department has fallen apart. And, the, and all that's left right now, Father, is your church, and your church cannot fall apart because you have promised that the gates of hell could not prevail. 
And so we stand on that promise, Lord, in spite of what may seem to be happening around us. Father, we trust in you because we know that regardless of what happens at the end, I will rise. And I will rise. And so, Father, we thank you for this portion of Scripture that you lead us. Help us to understand it a little bit more and give us direction for today, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen Amen and amen. All right. So why must I be... You may be seated. I'm sorry. Uh, you can stand while I preach if you'd like. It's a, I have to stand, so yeah, I should make you guys stand. <laughs> yeah. Why must I be different? I mean, can I just be okay? Aren't I just, can I just be the same? I don't want to offend anybody. If somebody invites me over to their house and, you know, they're doing some things that are illegal or unethical, I mean, it shouldn't be no problem, right? You know, because otherwise, you know, I probably could win them over to Christ. I'm going to tell you something, beloved. I just want you to know this that very rarely can you influence negative behavior. Negative behavior, more often than not, influences good behavior. As a matter of fact, the Bible is very clear about that. It's bad character that destroys a good character. Bad. And so what Paul is saying, it's the bad character. The bad character always brings us down. And no matter how, how much you think that you are above it all, they always bring you down to their level. And most of the time it is, is because, well, you know, I, just maybe, just maybe I can help them to see who Jesus Christ is. But see, I must be different. Well, because I am different. God had said, we studied this here not so long ago, a couple of weeks ago, in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, well, let me read this first. Number one, uh, I must be different because I am a new creation. This is why Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? And there's, there are some of the first few words is partnership, and, and you look at these words. Some of these words are not in the, in the Greek New Testament other than here, and Belial is the only time that Belial is used, and Belial is an old, old uh, archaic word for Satan. And, and so it, it kind of People go, well, why is he using these different words here? But anyways, what Paul is saying is, you know, and the words that he's using, the words that are put together here, I mean, these are words that you would find within the church. Partnership, right? Fellowship, right? One accord, right? Uh, portion that we have or agreement that we all have together. Those are words that we find in the New Testament that we should be doing. Remember back in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that Paul said this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what? He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Why should I be different? Because I'm a new creation. Jesus even said, uh, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You have to be different because you're born again. You weren't born back into what you used to be. You're born brand new. And you're a brand new Christian, a brand new believer. You're not taking in the garbage of the world. You're taking in the goodness of God's word. This is why Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The, the, uh, the non-believers, the unbelievers are people of the world. And the world has its latches like it used to have on us. And some well-meaning Christians, I, I would say, still want to hold on to that. But I'm telling you, you got to let it go. The world is not your friend. You're starting to find that out now. As a matter of fact, in 1 John chapter 2, and here's where I'd like for you to take some notes and, and write these verses down so that you can refer to them back later. Because I, I had so many verses, as you can see here. I, I, you know, Well, no, that one's in here. 
Uh, some of these verses aren't going to be in there because it's, I just didn't have any room. But it says there, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know, there are so many carnal Christians, so many people that just have a desire for the world, want to be a part of the world, love to be in the excitement of it all. For all that, the wor- that, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. There's that promise. There's that promise first and foremost. We get to see it right there. And and the thing about the world, the things that are passing away, those things, the desire of the flesh, you probably have heard it like this, the, des, uh, the desires of the flesh, the uh, desires of the eye, and the pride of life. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and the pride of life. Those are the things that constitute almost every temptation that is out there. The things that you see, the things that you want, and the pride that gives you, lets you be whoever you want. If you look at these three temptations, if you look at these three things that John pinpoints here, you'll see that these are the same three temptations that not only Eve went through and Adam, but also Jesus in the wilderness. Look, see, it's good to eat. And she saw, and it was good for, for food and for eating. Jesus, you know, look at the stones. You can, you can turn them into bread. The pride of life, you know, God doesn't want you to know what he knows. The pride of life, Jesus, you know, just, just worship me and I'll give you all of this. You would be king without having to go through all that problem. Beloved, these are the three basic sins that cover just about everything. If you understand this, those things that you want, they're not of God, it's sin. Those things that you see that you got to have are not of God. Those things that you are prideful about. You know, the only problem that people have with the Bible is when it encroaches on your beliefs. When all of a sudden we start stepping on your toes, well, I don't believe that. You know? and, and, and that, beloved, is pride. It's just downright evil pride. You know, it's, you, know, I, I, you know, that's not the way I was taught. You, you know, I don't believe that. It's just, you know, and, and pride is ugly, folks. It stinks. Paul James even says this, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, that should be straight up. If we're going to try to be friends with the world and try to not to upset the apple cart, and we're not going to try to turn it over, we're going to try to be as, as friendly as possible, then, then we're, we're, we're doing it wrong. Because the moment that we're friends with the world, guess what? Boom. We're an enemy with God. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He says to the people in Corinth last, uh, in the last book we wrote, he wrote, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And then he gives us this commentary, which I wanted to capitalize on today. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In other words, Paul says, you know, I, I don't want you to associate with these people, but not that I don't want you to associate with them, you know, because you got to associate with them. There's business that you have to do out there. There's things that you have to uh, talk, people that you have to talk to. And then he says, you know, if that was the case since then, you would need to go out of the world. In other words, you'd have to go into isolation. When people take this verse, do not be unequally yoked, they take it as a a sign of, well, I got to isolate myself. I got to get everything out of my life, uh, of this whole world. I take my kids out of school. I, I I go out and live out into a... It, it, as a hermit, way as a monk, 
and, and you know, it's just me by myself. And the problem with being be, with me by myself is I don't like myself sometimes. I'm going to have a problem, not with anybody else, but with myself. And most people have a problem with themselves. And Paul is saying, you know, it's not that I want you to get out of the world. Well, for, basically, you can't. you got to do business with people in this world. You've got to talk to them. What Paul is saying, I don't want you to, as he says here, unite, be unequally yoked. I don't want you to be together. I don't want you to become one with them. There is no common goal that both of you guys can have if you're not equally yoked. You cannot have the same goal. Especially, and Paul here really is talking more about the church, the work of the church. Stop bringing in all this pragmatism. Stop bringing in all this stuff from outside of the world and trying to make it work within the church. Because all you need is the Word of God. That's all we need, right there. There is the, there is the blueprint. There is the Word. There is what we need right here. And some air conditioning, right? <laughs> Praise God for that. And he goes on to say, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. Here's the pinpoint. Here's what he's pointing at. People that call themselves Christians. People that call themselves Christians but are living together. People that call themselves Christians, and when I say living together, sex out of marriage. People that call themselves Christians that act very immoral or act very unethical in business that have no problem in finding the wallet and praising God for the money that was in it instead of taking that wallet and giving it back to the, or trying to find the person that it belongs to. Being able to walk into a store and walk out recognizing, you know what, I didn't pay for this. Oh, well, that's their fault. That, that happened to me once. Well, it's happened to me several times. People give me extra money, I always give it back. You're making a mistake. No, 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 yes, that's too much money. Oh, I had a bag of potatoes underneath my cart one time. I had to stand in line, and I walked out, and, and I, oh, they didn't charge me for that potatoes. Come on. I had to go all the way back in there, stand in line. Hey, do I have to stand in line? Yes, you do. Well, yeah, okay, I, I will. And then I got to line and said, you guys didn't charge me for this. They looked at me kind of funny. They said, what? <laughs> you can have, you know, now if they give it to me, well, they, it's not theirs to give. What Paul is saying here is he's talking about a person that calls himself a brother. If he's guilty of sexual immorality, of greed or idolatry, a reviler, a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Oh, yeah, you know, I mean, I just burned this guy for this company, the things that I was doing. And oh, yeah, you know, and now that I have that extra money, I'm going to give it to the church. I said, you know what? I don't want anything to do with you. <laughs> I'm standing back because what Paul is saying that we ought to do. Now, remember, there are, things, there are people that are out there that are not saved, that are unbelievers. And there are people out there that we need to do business with, like, you know, the, the manager of the store, uh, the grocery store, the, pl the places where we buy our cars, our houses. We take opportunity to, to minister to them. Jesus hung out with them. Jesus went with the tax collectors. You know, they even called them a, a friend of sinners. Praise God. Amen. Can somebody say amen? He even called, he called them friends of sinners. They called him a drunkard, you know, because he used to drink with them. And he used to not get drunk. They, he used to eat with them. They used to call him a glutton. You know, because he did the things that they wouldn't do. See, it's not a matter of isolating, and it's not a matter of having our own laws or our own requirements, traditional laws, because that's exactly what the Pharisees were charged of. It's a matter of understanding God's Word, and if a person calls himself a believer and is not acting like a believer, then we need to call it for what it is. I, I here a while back, I started, when people come up to me and say, oh, yeah, I want to introduce you to my fiancé. You know, that's, that's key for, hey, we're sleeping together, but we're not married. 
this is my fiance. It's supposed to make things a little bit better. Pastor, this is my fiance. So I, instead of saying, okay, my first next question is, well, let me ask you something. Is this your fiance in the traditional sense or are you guys shacking up? Well, you'd be surprised on how many, what? You, you can't judge? Amen. I wasn't judging, but hey, if you feel judged. <laughs> and and there, are, there are those types of people that we have to break ourselves from. I was talking to somebody the other day. Oh, yeah, I've been a Christian all my life. I've been to church. I go to this church. I go to that church. And all kinds of stuff. Where do you go? Oh, you know, I don't feel like going anymore. I told him, I said, you know what? You're the worst kind of Christian there is, if you are a Christian. You're the most dangerous type of individual. Making people believe that it's okay to live this lifestyle of sin and call yourself a believer. Hey, well, you know, I want to go to your church. Please don't. <laughs> Please don't. Let me talk with you first and foremost. Let me share, let me, let me hear you make a, a repented call to God and, and just repent and ask for forgiveness and confess the fact that you got this ego and this pride that makes you believe that God is going to accept you just because of who you are. As a matter of fact, Paul goes on to say in this portion of scripture, he says, you know, and it might sound judgmental. As a matter of fact, most people will tell you, you know, well, the Bible says, thou shall not judge. Everybody knows that verse. They may not know where it's at, but they know that verse, right? Don't judge. You know what the Bible says. Thou shalt not. Where's it found? Somewhere in there. I know it says that. I've heard that somewhere. I've heard it preach. You should not judge. Only God can judge. He's the only one that can judge me. And you know, I, I'll tell you, it's in Matthew chapter 7. Judge not lest ye be judged. You know, but then he goes on to say, okay, I want you to watch out for those wolves in sheep's clothing. How am I going to know that? Unless I judge. You, you know, you got to distinguish between the good fruit and the bad fruit of the Pharisees. How am I going to know that? Unless I judge. Paul says that, Paul puts it this way. This is not in your outlines, I don't think. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. You might want to write that one down. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Now, he's talking about those that are inside the church. What do I have to do with those judging the outsiders? Those that, you know, a lot of us take the Bible and we want to change the world according to our standards. But this Bible and this word is for me and it's for you. It's for those that are believers. It's not for the world. And Paul says, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. And we went through this in 1 Corinthians. We talked about the word krino. What krino means in Greek is to, just to judge or to evaluate. Or to lay alongside, krinom. And, and the, Paul uses it here in both ways in this portion. He says, and, and depending on how it's being used and where it's talked about, we need to weigh. We need to weigh aside, weigh these things, our options. We need to evaluate. We need to lay this, you know, are, are you a believer? But your life doesn't reflect it. We need to do this. And when that happens, we need to call the brothers and say, look, man, you're, you're, number one, you're, you're damaging your testimony and yourself. Number two, you're hurting the church. This is a discipline that a lot of churches don't want to do. And to be honest with you, I, I, don't have, a, I, I, I have a hard time doing that myself. And, but Jesus gave us some steps on how to take care of these things. Talk to the brother, take somebody else with you, bring it to the church. And by the grace of God, throughout the last 20 years of our ministry here, uh, even five years prior to that, I've only had to use that process twice. Most of the time, I can talk to a person. Okay, you're right. You know, I mean, that's, that's, you're, you're right on. Uh, very, very few times have I taken it to the second step. When I had to take it to the second step, only two times had to, I, I had to bring it to the church. And uh, folks, it's not a very comfortable situation to be in. It's not. And, but that's what God has asked us to do. 
You see, you see it's, it's our nature that determines our association. See, because a pig is a pig, it's going to hang out with pigs in the mud, okay? Because a fish is a fish, it's going to hang out with fish in the water. Because you are a redeemed individual, your desire is to hang out with redeemed individuals. Amen? Okay. <laughs> Amen. Right here in church. Right here. Well, this is one place. There's other places I know. We're not the only place, but I think this is the best place anywhere near this place, so this has got to be the place. See, we, we possess this divine nature, not this animalistic nature, and this divine nature because we are a new creation. Our new creation, it longs for fellowship. It desires connection with God. It, it, it craves the love that only comes from a beloved, and, and, and it's, it's so important for the church to provide that to our people, our members of our church. And when we're being told that it's not essential, it's, I'm telling you, it's, it's breaking It's breaking the church. They're coming after the church. They've already assaulted the family. They've already assaulted the law enforcement. The next, uh, the next thing is, is uh, of course, our, our church. That's our conscience. That's what's holding us together. Paul says, do not be unequally yoked. He takes it from Deuteronomy 22, and he says, you know, and it's more than just the animals. You don't get an ox and a donkey and put them together. Okay, you don't get an ox and a donkey. Well, that makes sense. One is bigger than the other. One is a little bit more stubborn than the other, and it's going to just cause a mess. But you have to look at it within the context of what God was talking about. See, an ox was a clean animal. A donkey was not a clean animal. And the whole purpose of that, what, what God was teaching and Moses and Moses was teaching the people, says, don't put these together because this is a clean animal and that's an unclean animal. Uh, you know, besides all the obvious, yeah. besides everything else that just makes sense, you don't do that. You just don't do it because that's clean and that's defiled. Beloved, you don't want to be involved in defilement. You want to stay away from that type of a lifestyle with other people and especially within the church, especially within the church. And on the back of your outline, Paul just lines out five, uh, five things. And, and on the back of your outline, on one side, write who Christians are, put a line underneath it, and right next to that on the other side, who Christians are not. We read a little bit through this just right now, and underneath who Christians are, you can number one, two, three, four, five, and Christians are, number one, they're, right, they're righteousness, they're righteous. Number two, they're light. Number three, they're members of Jesus Christ's body. Number four, they're believers. And number five, they are the temple of God. See, I told you I was going to put this to work. Righteous, light, members of Christ's body, believers and temples, we are temples of God. Over underneath the who Christians are not, according to what Paul says here, lawlessness, Darkness, Satan, or he says Belial, we'll, we'll, I'll cover that here just a little bit, unbelievers, and we're not temples of any idol. We're not members of Christ, we're, we're members of Christ's body, not members of Satan's body, and we're, we're unbelievers, excuse me, unbelievers and idols. And what Paul does is he uses the words fellowship, communion, uh, harmony, part, agreement, and all of those are words that really just talk about the church, describe the church. Righteousness and lawlessness, these questions that he asks, these questions that he's talking about, that he brings out, do not be unequally yoked. 
For what? And he asks them in a, in a, in a sense where you have to answer negative. Because it's very obvious. You, you can't have darkness and light in the same room. You just cannot. If there's darkness and you flip on just a candle, the room lights up. And it's impossible to have darkness and light in the same place. It's impossible, number one, to have righteousness and lawlessness in the same place. Either you're righteous or you're lawless. And we know that the lawless one is on his way. Righteousness is obedience to the law of God. Lawlessness is rebellion against the holy law. Everything that God is and everything that God stands for, everything that the Word of God says, people rebel against it, that's lawlessness. And we've been talking about this now for some time. The scriptures have been taken out of school, out of, out of the courthouse, out of the home. So there's no judge, there is no standard, there's no canon, nothing that we can judge ourselves with a look at. It, it's lawlessness. Righteousness characterizes believers because Christ's righteousness has been imputing on us. He has placed it upon ourselves. Unbelievers, on the other hand, are, are characterized by lawlessness. And in spite of how good they may be doing, they may be very well-educated and very, quote-unquote, good people, but the motives of why people do things are very and vast. The motive behind what believers ought to do things is to bring glory to God. That is our biggest difference, light and darkness. Paul says, what fellowship has light and darkness? Koinonia means to partner, to share. You know, and it's self-evident. I mean, it's, it's, are they going to have harmony, fellowship together? Can they? Of course not. Christ and Belial, or Christ and Satan. You know, what harmony, symphonesis is the word that we get, where we get the word symphony. You know, it, it, can you imagine just all these instruments up here and everybody playing whatever they wanted to play? We, we wouldn't have any harmony. We would have a cacophony. There is, no, there is no equal with Satan and with Jesus Christ and God. There was a, and I, I don't think, we've never seen this program, but I, we saw the highlights on it on Netflix. It was, what was it called? Where it was both... Uh, I guess Jesus and Satan or an angel and a demon, they were working together to save the planet. And they're making it look like, uh, I forget what it was called, but they're making it look like they can work together. We can all get along. No, we can't. No, we can't. What was that? Yeah. And this is what Paul is saying. Don't, don't do it. Don't hook up with people that are against the things of God, a believer and unbeliever. Says, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? None. There's nothing in common. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? What agreement? There is none. It's commonly used in the decision arrived by, by a group. And this last rhetorical question that he uses introduces a second reason for believers not to be bound together with unbelievers. All false religions is in this final analysis of the doctrine of demons. It was interesting. We were listening to a, a, a song this last week. It was called, you, do you guys follow any oldies or remember any oldies? Earth Angel? Earth Angel. You know, I, I thought it was pretty cute. You know, I thought it was really nice. And then I asked my wife, what's an earth angel? And she rightly said, well, aren't the angels that uh, got kicked out of heaven <laughs> on earth now? Yeah, so I guess that would be a demon. <laughs> Okay, anyways. But the temple of God and idols, and, and I talked a little bit about this a little bit ago, how they had these temples 
on, on, on the side, and, and, and people were just going to him. And Paul says, don't associate with them. Don't even communicate with them. Don't find yourself getting involved in the same mission, in the same field. Though they may be fighting the same fight, you can't fight it with them because their intentions are totally different. And, and there's been... There was a, there's been some push here in San Bernardino for many years, uh, in, in, oh, I would say about maybe 10, 15 years ago, some, something happened within the city, and they thought, you know, we've got to get all the clergy together, and we've got to bring them together, got to get all the, the ministers and the spiritual leaders of, the, of San Bernardino, we've got to fight against this injustice, against this person that was murdered, uh, and it was gang-related, and, and so they called us, and everybody had a part to speak, there was four or five of us, and I was... I was, talk, I was asked to speak a little bit about that, and we had a big old crowd up there, and this is, okay, talk to us about you know, how, we can, how we can do this. Everybody had their, their, their speech prepared, and you speak on this, and you speak to how this can happen. Well, the first thing I said is the only way that this can happen is that if all of us are under the banner of Jesus Christ, and I just went from there, and I preached, and I proclaimed it, and you know, I, a few people, and I go, okay, I mean, I, I thought I was talking to spiritual leaders of San Bernardino. What I didn't realize, <laughs> a lot of these guys were from other spirits. Some of these guys didn't believe in Jesus Christ because of their denomination. Others thought, you know, what I thought we were all part of this God thing. And, and all of a sudden, it just, from that point forward, it just all fell apart. And they asked me to recant, and I said, no. Then when you can't be a part of it, I don't want to be a part of it. And I stepped away. And to this day, I don't know if that group is still going. I don't think so. They've tried to revise it a few times afterward. But, beloved, we cannot not with the world. There aren't 4,800 religions. There's only two. There's only two. You see, and we cannot congregate. We cannot communicate. We can communicate, but we cannot go on the same mission together. Because our mission is Jesus Christ, high and lifted up. And when he is high and lifted up, all men will be drawn to himself. It's not the government. It's not politics. It's not a religion. It's not a denomination. It's Jesus Christ. And that was the one thing that the reformers from old said, you know, you guys are taking us off on different tangents. The Bible doesn't say any of that stuff. We got to get focused back on Jesus Christ and the grace of God. In the back of your outlines, number two. Number two, why must I be different? Well, why must I be different? Well, here's a pretty straightforward thing. Because God said so. How's that? Because God said so. For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. This is probably in our day and age, a very hard concept to get across. I know it was a hard concept for me to grasp when they would talk to me about how God was my loving father, how God loved me just like my earthly father and even more so. The problem with that was is back in the 70s and somewhat even the early 70s, uh, my, my father, who was an abusive alcoholic, died when I was nine years old. And I remember his whole life and what he did to all our family. I, I'm, I was the oldest, and, and so, I mean, I just remembered, in, in a sense, I was kind of, I was sad and heartbroken that we lost our father, but I was kind of like, you know, good, in a sense. 
And what most people that were coming to me, well-meaning, they came to me and they would say, you know, God loves you and he wants to nurture you and care for you just like your father. Well, back then it was, it was almost good, except it was, it's not what it is, especially like today. Today it's even worse. And it's hard for people to comprehend that God is a loving father. They have no idea. They have no clue. But you know what? God wants to be a loving father to those that do not have fathers that never had a father. He wants to love you. I was 30 years old when I, first time I felt the love of a father. I was 30 years old when I committed my life to Christ. And when that transformation took place in my life, I sensed the love of God. He says, I want you to be separate. I want you to be different. I want you to get away from all that stuff that you used to do. And I want to be your father. I want you to be my son. And beloved, that to me was the greatest change in my life. And it helped me to grow as a believer. And today, you know, we, most people don't see this anymore. And, and we're supposed to be separate. We're supposed to be different. You know, individuals, we're, we are the temple of the living God. The living God appearing more than two dozen times in Scripture. And this is what Paul is saying. It's over and over again, we are the temple of the living God. Just as he said. So I need to be different because God lives in me. If we were to understand that God is present with us every single moment and every single time, we would really comprehend that. It would change our life. The things that we say, the things that we do, the places we go, just the little things now. When you start being more aware of God's presence, it changes your life. He says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What Paul does is he takes a portions of Scripture from Leviticus and Exodus and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and he kind of jumbles it all together, doesn't really quote it verbatim what it says, but, but basically he's saying what he says there. He says, I will make my dwelling, therefore go out from their midst. He's talking to the people in Isaiah. He says, I want you to get out of there. I want you to go out of their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you. And so he's He's sharing with them a lot of what they already know, a lot of the Old Testament. And as the temple of the living God is, is who we are. And so we are, we are to be separate. We are to be holy. Now, the word holy is kind of hard for people to comprehend. It's hard for some people to grasp because, you know, what, I got to be perfect like God. I mean, I got to be pure like God. And, and in all honesty, what the Bible says about being holy is, well, we can find that in Leviticus chapter 10 in your outline. See, and this is, this is the difference between holy and unholy. He says, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common. Let me pause there for a moment. Just take that in for a little bit. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common. You would think that you would find there right next to holy and the evil, or the unholy, or the bad. But you know what God calls unholy? everything that everybody else is doing. Amen. All the common stuff. Yeah. All the common sense. Yeah. Next time someone says to you, it's, it's, it's common sense, step back a little bit. Okay, you know, this is not holy. <laughs> if it's common sense, then it's not godly sense. But you are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. My responsibility to you is to help you understand and to see, differentiate by what is holy and what is common. 
And I know that that rubs people the wrong way, but this is the holiness of God. We are to draw near to the holiness of God. Again, in Ezekiel, he says to them, Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and, again, the word common. So the opposite of holy is not unholy, but the opposite of holy is common. And and so when we talk about holiness, you need to be uncommon, different, because God said so. In uh, chapter 44, verse 23, they shall teach the people the difference between the holy and the common and show them how to distinguish between the unclean and the clean. There are a lot of things in this world, beloved, that seem to be good. They seem to be right. They seem to be, you know, well, you know, everybody's doing it. Well, if everybody's doing it, you can almost guarantee that it is not holy. It's common. If everybody is following along, then you can almost guarantee that it's not what God has called us to do. We need to be different because God said so. Number three, I need to be different because of God's promises. In chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Since we have these promises, beloved, I love that word, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every evil defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. We, We talked about the fear of God last week. We talked about how we are to fear the wrath of God. We talked about a little bit of how, how it is that most people don't fear God anymore. Amen. They, don't, they don't fear God. They don't respect God. They don't reverence God. They, they, they use His name in vain. There are so many things that we do that, that just doesn't bring honor and glory to God. And I'm guilty of that. I, I, I can say that. You know, when, when uh, we were told in the Ten Commandments, do not use the Lord's name in vain, you know, back then, never ever did it cross anybody's mind to put the words God and damn it in the same sentence. That was never the intent to use God's name as a curse word. The intent was, look, you call yourself by the name of God, then you are a God person, therefore you bear God's image. You are an image bearer. And if you're calling yourself a God person or a person of God or a man of God, then you need to act like it. And stop. Yeah, don't use that word either in a sentence. And don't, don't do anything else that's going to damage the reputation and the, the testimony of who you claim to represent. Having God's promises provides powerful motivation for believers. It provides powerful motivation to do the right thing to seek His holiness. The promises of God. And, and, and Paul's already shared with us what the promises are, but you know the promises of God? Number Well, we would have this relationship, father-son relationship with God. We'll have this father-daughter relationship with God. He will be our God. He will dwell with us. The things that take place on this planet in our life have no bearings to our eternal security. None of it. And so it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter who becomes president. It doesn't matter what happens because we already know the end. We know that we win. We know for the beginning and the end. We already got it laid out for us. And it's just so happening that it's happening to us right now. This is not new. This has happened in the past to other believers. This this has happened even worse to others overseas. We're just now getting a little bit of it right now. But see, here's your part. 
you know, and here's, here's the problem that people have with this predestination and this sovereignty of God. Well, if God's already done this and he's already taken care of it, well, what do I have to do? Well, you know what? Your responsibility, you're responsible. Paul even says so right here. He said, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. There is work that has to be done in your life. There is work that has to be done in my life. There is work that has to come from what I have to do. I have to cleanse myself from every defilement of body and of spirit, of the things that damage my spiritual life. A lot of times it's just doing nothing. A lot of times it's probably, have you ever noticed on how you can get onto your phone because somebody texts you and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're, you're going to uh, Facebook or something else and, and then you go, oh, is that a puppy? You know, and, and then, oh, look at that. And by the time you know it, you know, a half hour, an hour has passed by. Or is that just me? I'm sorry. Okay. Nobody's fast enough. That's okay. It's happened to me. <laughs> I've got to put my phone aside, and then I pull out my computer. I've got to work on my computer. Oh, hey, I got a message. Oh, I got an email. Oh, wow, that's on sale. How much money do I have? Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah, I know. It. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. Your pastor is addicted to social media. I, I'm in it for you guys. I want to do it so that you don't have to go there. Okay, I, no, I, I, that's not going to fly anymore. you got to get away from those things that draw you away, whether it's spirit or body. And you know what they are. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. Some of you are, well, I don't know about here, but some are addicted to pornography. Don't even know how you got there. I, I used to say that never bothered me until one day it popped up on my, on my screen. And I've shared this before. And it popped up on my screen, and all of a sudden I was there. And, and the... the, the what I did, number one, first of all, I confessed it to God. Second thing I did is I confessed it to my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I says, look, this, this happened, and that's... Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so anytime that pops up, I, I try to get rid of it. I try to, you know, don't want anyone any part of that. Amen. Because it is addicting. You can get so wrapped up in that. Yeah. Some, some are, you know, with alcohol or drugs or whatever the case may be. There are things that are going on in life that some of you are addicted to pride, to arrogance. You know, you think you know more than other people. There's just, everybody is different. Yes. And the important thing is that you recognize it. Yes. And you yourself have to cleanse yourself from that defilement. That is your responsibility. That is your human responsibility from a sovereign God that has already indicated it to you in your life what needs to take place. I know what's going on in my life. And I'm not going to say that I've done everything perfectly. But I know what I'm working on. And each one of us have to do the same thing. Amen. Positively cleansing oneself from all these things and all these things that we're trying to connect with in the world is what it, perfecting holiness in the fear of God helps us to do. We're in the process right now of going through some material and, and uh, we've got a, a Bible study going to start up on Wednesday nights called Chosen by God. Right after that, we're going to go to the next study, which is called uh, Pleasing God. And, and, and it's, it's a, a study of, number one, understanding who we are and how we stand in God, and then what it is, what our responsibility is. If I'm already chosen by God, then what do I have to do to do the rest of it? Okay. Well, there's a responsibility. And, and, and some people get that confused with free will and predestination, and, and it's, part of your, it's part of who you are that you have to respond. Yeah. 
And if you want to call it free will, you can for now. But I want to show you on how all of that fits together in God's sovereign plan. Because if, if this is already predestined, I guess you would say, if this is already taken care of, and we know that from the beginning to the end, so somewhere in there, my life fits in there somewhere. So now I want to know what that is. I want to know how that, how that affects me and my family, my church, my community, this state, and the rest of the world. Because that's my responsibility. I'm just not going to stop and stay there and say, oh, well, hey, I'm going to heaven, so no. There's something that each one of us have to do. And it's because of God's promises. He's promised us to love us. He's promised us to make us his children. He's promised us to give us eternal life. I will rise. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then he goes on to say in 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. See, obedience brings fellowship. Disobedience brings discipline. And some people have been on the, on the other side of the rod yeah. in discipline. Through life, through things that have happened, through things that are taking place in your own life, through things that are going on in, the, in, your, in your family, through things that are going on in your... And, and what God says is, is you've got to get back to what God's called you to do is get to know him, fear him, pursue that holiness, separate yourself from the world. Do not be equally yoked with those that are not believers. And it plays out in so many different ways, but specifically within the church. Within the church is where we as a church need to unite with believers and those that are going in the same direction. And what Paul, what Paul starts to say, and he's going to get into this a little bit later, he says, you, you know, this is what the church is about. The church is an organization, excuse me, the church is an organism that is growing and, and developing. It's living, it's breathing. It, it rejoices and it mourns. And the church is not the building, but here's the, the place where God has given us to congregate and to share that life with one another, to have that fellowship, to have those things in common. And the more people, and you know, there's more people out there like you that want to do that. And it's just a matter of going out and finding them and letting them know that we're here. Let me ask you to stand. I'm not sure where this is affecting you, if at all, as far as the isolation being set apart being different? Are there things that have to change in your life? You know, at first, the very beginning, when Christianity started, the separation and the holiness that they needed to do, a lot of them lost their jobs. A lot of them lost their families. They'd come home after professing to be Christians, and they were ostracized. All their belongings were taken away. Some were killed and martyred because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And this being separate and different was very real to a lot of the early Christians, and even to some extent in uh, other parts of the world. And, and I know that some that are within the sound of my voice will hear 
this message and, and think, well, you know, what happens with, I don't know, boyfriend, girlfriend, brother, sister? What happens with those things? Well, that's where the challenge comes in for you. Amen. To look at what God's Word says. And to receive the eternal blessings. And also the temporal blessings that we have now that are, give you, just God will bless you within that fellowship, and that sweet fellowship that he wants to have with you. Or the discipline and as he tries to correct us. There is a place somewhere along there that each one of us fit. And we have to come to grips with that and ask God, okay, Lord, now that I see it, I need the strength to move forward. Father in heaven, thank you again. It's, di- it's difficult, especially when we're so wrapped up in the world. And it's difficult to, to want to just get away from it all. And it's difficult. And I know that as we look at our life and those that are a big part of our life, and we want to hold on to those that are believers. And as a, in a fleshly manner, we also want to hold on to those that are non-believers because they mean so much to us. And I believe, God, that as we share the gospel with each person, what you have done for us and how you died on the cross because of our sin and our wickedness, that as we share that with those that are non-believers, the decision will be made not by us but by them. So help us to be bold in sharing what you've already shown us. Help us to be able to understand that, that we are here to be those that aren't going to have that fellowship with darkness, with Satan, with unbelievers. And that we will be that change agent within our life, within this church, within our families. It's a high order, Lord, that you've called us for. But it's one I know that you will, you have prepared us for. You have empowered us for, and you have gifted us for. So I pray that we walk out of here understanding that there is a task that, to be done that you've given us all that we need to accomplish it. So, Father, once again, we thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've given us and how you've blessed us. And for this time together, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. All right, let me... uh...